Chapter Thirty One of A Short History of the World by H. G. Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirty One Rome Comes into History. The reader will note a general similarity in the history of all these civilizations, in spite of the effectual separation caused by the great barriers of the Indian northwest frontier and of the mountain masses of central asia and further india first for thousands of years the heliolithic culture spread over all the warm and fertile river valleys of the old world and developed a temple system and priest rulers about its sacrificial traditions apparently its first makers were always those brunette peoples we have spoken of as the central race of mankind then the nomads came in from the regions of seasonal grass and seasonal migrations and superposed their own characteristics and often their own language on the primitive civilization they subjugated and stimulated it and were stimulated to fresh developments and made it here one thing and here another in mesopotamia it was the elamite and then the semite and at last the nordic medes and persians and the greeks who supplied the ferment over the region of the aegean peoples it was the greeks in india it was the aryan speakers in egypt there was a thinner infusion of conquerors into a more intensely saturated priestly civilization in china the han conquered and was absorbed and was followed by fresh huns china was mongolized just as greece and north india were aryanized and mesopotamia semitized and aryanized everywhere the nomads destroyed much but everywhere they brought in a new spirit of free inquiry and moral innovation they questioned the beliefs of immemorial ages they let daylight into the temples they set up kings who were neither priests nor gods but mere leaders among their captains and companions in the centuries following the sixth century b c we find everywhere a great breaking down of ancient traditions and the new spirit of moral and intellectual inquiry awake a spirit never more to be altogether stilled in the great progressive movement of mankind we find reading and writing becoming common and accessible accomplishments among the ruling and prosperous minority they were no longer the jealously guarded secret of the priests travel is increasing and transport growing easier by reason of horses and roads a new and easy device to facilitate trade has been found in coined money let us now transfer our attention back from china in the extreme east of the old world to the western half of the mediterranean here we have to note the appearance of a city which was destined to play at last a very great part indeed in human affairs rome hitherto we have told very little about italy in our story it was before one thousand b c a land of mountain and forest and thinly populated aryan-speaking tribes had pressed down this peninsula and formed little towns and cities and the southern extremity was studded with greek settlements the noble ruins of paestum preserve for us to this day 
something of the dignity and splendor of these early Greek establishments. A non-Aryan people, probably akin to the Aegean peoples, the Etruscans, had established themselves in the central part of the peninsula. They had reversed the usual process by subjugating various Aryan tribes. Rome, when it comes into the light of history, is a little trading city at a ford on the Tiber, with a Latin-speaking population ruled over by Etruscan kings. The old chronologies gave 753 B.C. as the date of the founding of Rome, half a century later than the founding of the great Phoenician city of Carthage, and twenty-three years after the first Olympiad. Etruscan tombs of a much earlier date than 753 B.C. have, however, been excavated in the Roman Forum. In that red-letter century, the 6th century B.C., the Etruscan kings were expelled, 510 B.C., and Rome became an aristocratic republic with a lordly class of patrician families, dominating a commonalty of plebeians. Except that it spoke Latin, it was not unlike many aristocratic Greek republics. For some centuries, the internal history of Rome was the story of a long and obstinate struggle for freedom and a share in the government on the part of the plebeians. It would not be difficult to find Greek parallels to this conflict, which the Greeks would have called a conflict of aristocracy with democracy. In the end, the plebeians broke down most of the exclusive barriers of the old families and established a working equality with them. They destroyed the old exclusiveness and made it possible and acceptable for Rome to extend her citizenship by the inclusion of more and more outsiders. For while she still struggled at home, she was extending her power abroad. The extension of Roman power began in the 5th century BC. Until that time, they had waged war, and generally unsuccessful war, with the Etruscans. There was an Etruscan fort, Veii, only a few miles from Rome, which the Romans had never been able to capture. In 474 BC, however, a great misfortune came to the Etruscans. Their fleet was destroyed by the Greeks of Syracuse and Sicily. At the same time, a wave of Nordic invaders came down upon them from the north, the Gauls. Caught between Roman and Gaul, the Etruscans fell and disappeared from history. Veii was captured by the Romans. The Gauls came through to Rome and sacked the city, 390 B.C., but could not capture the capital. An attempted night surprise was betrayed by the cackling of some geese, and finally the invaders were bought off and retired to the north of Italy again. The Gaulish raid seems to have invigorated rather than weakened Rome. The Romans conquered and assimilated the Etruscans, and extended their power over all central Italy, from the Arno to Naples. To this they had reached within a few years of 300 BC. Their conquests in Italy were going on simultaneously with the growth of Philip's power in Macedonia and Greece, and the tremendous raid of Alexander to Egypt and the Indus. The Romans had become notable people in the civilized world, to the east of them by the breakup of Alexander's empire. 
to the north of the Roman power were the Gauls, to the south of them were the Greek settlements of Magna Graecia, that is to say, of Sicily, and of the toe and heel of Italy. The Gauls were a hardy, warlike people, and the Romans held that boundary by a line of forts and fortified settlements. The Greek cities in the south, headed by Tarentum, now Taranto, and by Syracuse in Sicily, did not so much threaten as fear the Romans. They looked about for some help against these new conquerors. We have already told how the empire of Alexander fell to pieces and was divided among his generals and companions. Among these adventurers was a kinsman of Alexander's named Pyrrhus, who established himself in Epirus, which is across the Adriatic Sea, over against the heel of Italy. It was his ambition to play the part of Philip of Macedonia to Magna Graecia, and to become protector and master-general of Tarentum, Syracuse, and the rest of that part of the world. He had what was then it very efficient modern army. He had an infantry phalanx, cavalry from Sicily, which was now quite as good as the original Macedonian cavalry, and twenty fighting elephants. He invaded Italy and routed the Romans in two considerable battles, Heraclea, 280 B.C., and Osculum, 279 B.C., and having driven them north, he turned his attention to the subjugation of Sicily. But this brought against him a more formidable enemy than were the Romans at that time the Phoenician trading city of Carthage, which was probably then the greatest city in the world. Sicily was too near Carthage for a new Alexander to be welcome there, and Carthage was mindful of the fate that had befallen her mother city Tyre half a century before. So she sent a fleet to encourage or compel Rome to continue the struggle, and she cut the overseas communications of Pyrrhus. Pyrrhus found himself freshly assailed by the Romans, and suffered a disastrous repulse in an attack he had made upon their camp at Beneventum between Naples and Rome. And suddenly came news that recalled him to Epirus. The Gauls were raiding south, but this time they were not raiding down into Italy. The Roman frontier, fortified and guarded, had become too formidable for them. They were raiding down through Illyria, which is now Serbia and Albania, to Macedonia and Epirus. Repulsed by the Romans, endangered at sea by the Carthaginians, and threatened at home by the Gauls, Pyrrhus abandoned his dream of conquest and went home, 275 BC, and the power of Rome was extended to the Straits of Messina. On the Sicilian side of the Straits was the Greek city of Messina, and this presently fell into the hands of a gang of pirates. The Carthaginians, who were already practically overlords of Sicily and allies of Syracuse, suppressed these pirates, 270 B.C., and put in a Carthaginian garrison there. The pirates appealed to Rome, and Rome listened to their complaint. And so, across the Straits of Messina, the great trading power of Carthage, and this new conquering people, the Romans, found themselves in antagonism face to face. End of chapter 31